0: Welcome to the About, From, and With podcast, a podcast showcasing speech language pathologists' journeys to finding their passion and purpose in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Danica Pfeiffer. In each episode, we'll learn about, from, and with SLP clinicians and researchers as they share their experiences, advice, and expertise. Hello, and welcome to another episode of About, From, and With. On this episode, I speak with Ileana Perez, a speech-language pathologist that recently made the switch from working clinically with pediatric clients to adults. Ileana was actually one of my roommates during graduate school, and I'm excited to have her here on the podcast. She shares some really great insights into what it's like to make this change from working with children to adults in her clinical practice. And I think these are really helpful for others to consider that are thinking about making this switch someday. After graduating from James Madison University with a master's of science, Ileana completed her clinical fellowship and worked with children for three years at a small private clinic. Now she has moved on to work with adult clients focusing on treatment of cognitive communication disorders and issues with swallowing. Ileana is a native Spanish speaker who can easily communicate with Spanish-speaking patients and also promote communication between those patients and other professionals, lessening the potential impact of language barriers and treatment. All right, let's dive in. I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Hi, Ileana. Thank you so much for joining me today to share your SLP story.
1: Thank you, Danica. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited because I heard your podcast and You asked me to come in. I was like, yes, that sounds awesome. So I'm excited. (laughs) Ready to go.
0: Well, that is great. I can't wait to hear more about your journey. I know a little bit already, but I'm excited to learn some more. Let's start off with you just telling us a little bit about you growing up before you began your SLP journey.
1: Sure. So I grew up in Puerto Rico, born and raised. Uh, We do learn to speak English since elementary school so i did grow up speaking english but my primary language in which i was raised is spanish it's the official language um so i speak puerto rican spanish as my native tongue and american television influenced me so i i know the lingo and i and again with the english in school i was able to know both languages definitely stronger in spanish Up to the age of fourteen when I moved to Virginia specifically. And so I the other part of my growing up happened here locally in Virginia. And in there I really submerged myself into more English. And so my growing up consisted of speaking and I still do speak mainly in Spanish at home, but I do get influence from media and just my everyday conversations with people in English. I grew up in a Small family, household, just one sibling. I love to learn. And so I wanted to be a teacher for a little bit. And then for like a hot second, a fashion designer. But then I've reverted back into
0: wow. being more of
1: a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I learned about speech pathology going into senior year. Because I myself had speech pathology for about six years. And that really influenced my journey. So I grew up having speech therapy
0: myself. When did you have speech therapy?
1: So I had speech therapy, if my memory serves me correctly, because I feel I learned something different every time I talk to my parents about what (laughs) what my (laughs) journey was, from about the age of three until almost eight. So I had a language disorder. So I... I don't know technically what happened to me. It's kind of a convoluted thing, not because it's a mystery. It's just it was the 90s. The, <laughs> no, but seriously, the the <laughs> things have improved vastly since then. Uh, I had a fever and I developed what's called an acquired disorder. And so I regressed in my language. And so I had to have speech therapy intensely, I think, three times a week so that I could be where I am today. I was told I wouldn't talk, that I wouldn't learn how to read normally, that I wouldn't grow up normally. And by the grace of God, here I am. I'm really grateful for that speech therapist.
0: Wow. (laughs) She did a lot of
1: hard work. Yep.
0: And that was in Puerto Rico then?
1: Yes. She was actually, from what my mom tells me, she was studying to be a master's student. So I was one of her first students.
0: I wow. wish I could get
1: in contact with her, but I haven't found her.
0: <laughs> I want to thank really her cool. for her. yeah,
1: I really want to thank her for everything,
0: yeah, sounds like she did a great job from telling you that you would never speak, and now look at you. you're a speech language pathologist,
1: <laughs> right? Uh, my parents joke that there is no off button for me now, so they <laughs> she says they uh, they say I overdid it, so
0: <laughs> she did too well a, <laughs> a little too well. <laughs> And you said that you became interested in speech-language pathology when you were finishing up high school. Is that right?
1: I'm trying to think. So my junior year, I went to a small private school in Virginia, and I had an opportunity to do a career day. And at that point, I still thought I wanted to be a teacher. And so I talked to one of my friends who I knew – her mom was a teacher, and I went to shadow her. And while there, she said, why don't you shadow the speech pathologist? Because I actually had mentioned to her that my mom suggested to me that I should look into speech therapy because of me going through speech therapy when I was younger and that it's similar to teaching. And so I said, OK, I don't know too much about it. I went to search for what this was and it looked interesting. I mentioned it to her before going on this career day and she said, oh, why don't you shadow her? And on that day, junior year, I shadow her because she was a special education teacher. And I I have a passion for people with disabilities. I I enjoy that kind of work. So I thought more specifically that I wanted to be a special education teacher. So that's why I shadow my friend's mom. She had me accompany a student that was going to speech therapy, to speech therapy. And it was in literally a closet. And I said, this is your office? And she said, yes. (laughs) And apparently, even where I work now, I literally have a closet. (laughs) And she had a, one of those circular not circular. What is it? Those half moon tables and three students, and she had this pyramid and this poster, and she was multitasking. And I said, "Wow, you're like a wizard. How do you do that? It's amazing. How do you keep three kids separate things that they need to do? Whoa!" And so I fell in love with it right in there, and that was my beginning of my rabbit hole into being a speech pathologist. <laughs> <laughs> Started with that small seed.
0: Yeah, that's great that you got to shadow. I think that's really helpful in understanding what exactly a speech therapist does and what their everyday life looks like as a speech-language pathologist. And you attended Mary Washington University and you majored in psychology. So how did that help prepare you to become a speech-language pathologist?
1: That's a great question because I love psychology. Psychology is one of those degrees that can help out with speech pathology because you have some of the similar prerequisites that you have to take the science and the humanities type of class. But I just love the insight of what makes a person function in a way. So you have that piece of the anatomy, but you have the mental health and Mm -hmm. what I guess is Not normal, but also what is normal. So I love getting to know people in that way. I went into choosing psychology with a minor in linguistics because I panicked because I chose Mary Washington to go to school and they did not have a speech pathology undergraduate. And I said, I messed up. What did (laughs) I do? Oh no, woe is me. But I, the great thing is you can talk to people, they answer your question, they said, no worries people do this and usually people that go into this track major in psychology or in linguistics and I said why not both yeah but but not major in linguistics because linguistic was not a major at that time I'm not currently sure if it is but with psychology and just knowing the theory of people I guess Mm -hmm. and the different mindsets and the different things that go into society. And I took, with linguistics, phonology. Taking phonology exposed me to transcribing, which I thought was my worst nightmare. But I got better at it in grad school because I was already exposed to it.
0: Yeah, that sounds like that was really nice in preparing you to go into an SLP program. And as you started grad school, Did you find yourself gravitating towards any certain population that you wanted to work with or any certain setting that you thought you might want to work in?
1: So in grad school, I had my head on kids. Full on, full disclosure, had my head on children. But I was tinkering with the idea with adults to work with adults because in undergraduate of my senior year, I shadowed a speech pathologist Uh, rest in peace she was lovely fortunately she has passed she was awesome and she made me love work with adults I did that for three months I observed her and I thought that was awesome so I had my heart with kids but I also had thoughts in adults and it started shifting more to adults as I was working not because I don't love I love kids. I You give me a baby, my weakness. I, I love babies. <laughs> like, I I love them. But the relationship that you build with adults, especially towards the end of my graduate school career, where I had an acute placement setting, made me really, okay, I think I really want to work with adults in the ideal world universe. That would be great. Okay. But they had really good classes. I love the cogn- the cognition class. I love that language. So, those classes, oh, I, I swallowing, those really also geared my decision towards wanting to work with adults.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So, it sounds like both the coursework and your clinical experiences, you just started really gravitating towards that content area.
1: Right. And I mean, I, not that, again, not that I don't love working with kids, it just made me gravitate a little more just from my personality and, and such. Yeah.
0: Were there any other experiences that you had during graduate school that you feel like really shaped who you are as the clinician that you are today?
1: My, really my teachers, my professors, they really helped out. Those connections, that networking, my advisor or class advisor, the clinical supervisor, just Little conversations. That really does it for me. I'm a person that builds relationships. So those relationships, my peers really helped out just that my core group and my the class above me were really influential.
0: That's great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And as you finished up grad school, you said you started feeling like you were getting pulled towards working with adults. But then how did you go about finding your clinical fellowship? Did you start off by looking for somewhere that you could work with adults?
1: Yes. So during the last semester of grad school, you know, we're encouraged to start looking for jobs because we're finishing up. We just have our last clinical experience where we don't go to the actual school building itself to take classes. We're out there doing five days a week. So I was applying and I applied to a lot of places. The thing with working with adults, it's very competitive. You really have to In my experience, have connections and be willing to perhaps relocate or, you know, not really be so bound by your idea of of the perfect working place. And so that was just very tough because I applied to a lot of inpatient, outpatient, acute, you name it, I applied. It was tough. Because even with my clinical experience, most of my clinical experience was still with children. I said, well, I'm going to apply here. And I got the job and I said, well, I guess I'm called to do this now. I'm going to go do it. And it was a great choice where I ended up working because it was a very supportive environment for a new young clinician who, you know, has experience. But you still need a little bit of that hand-holding because... You're still a young clinician that hasn't been paid for this job before. So I ended up getting my CF and staying at that workplace for three years. And that which, was
0: actually with kids, right? It wasn't yes. with adults.
1: It, yes, yes, yes. It was with kids and it was a good learning opportunity and a growing opportunity for sure as a person and as a clinician
0: Good. Good. And so you were working at a pediatric outpatient center for your clinical fellowship and your early years of your career. What did a typical week look like for you in that work environment?
1: I learned to be flexible. So I have to be flexible on the job for sure. But I would see, depending on the day, I would have 30 minute blocks with kids Most of the time, treating the child. Some of the time, talking with the parent or transitioning them out, whatnot.
0: And were those mainly individual sessions? Yes.
1: I did not have group sessions uh, just because of the nature of the office itself. But I did have co-treatments. So that was nice to be able to do work on the same child with different, different disciplines. So that was mainly occupational therapy. But... Okay, that's great. And then had some paperwork planning time throughout the week, one to three evaluations a week, depending on the week and the need, between eight and 14 kids a day. And it was a collaborative environment, so there were other clinicians I could talk to about a patient, especially if we shared them because we were absent or because they had to reschedule. So sometimes some of those sessions weren't just my people on my caseload. They were other clinicians' children because they had to reschedule because they made it late to their appointment. They are going on vacation next week, and they want to make sure they get their therapy in. So just doing that and then reevaluations.
0: Okay, so it sounds like you had a nice variety then of- mm-hmm. Different kinds of things, and also different patients, and getting to work with other professionals too. What made you, after those three years, start to think about potentially changing your workplace?
1: I still had that dream with working with adults. That that fire had never died, fizzled out since grad school. I was wanting to challenge myself in that because working with adults is very different than working with children. Working with children is more educational, at least in an outpatient or a school it tends to be more an educational approach. You tend to be more like a teacher. You come teach them and try to help their development, if you will. But with adults, is a lot more restorative. It tends to be some teaching, but especially in the medical world, you get to help them recover post something that happens to them and I enjoy that medical aspect like I loved my anatomy class and just again thinking about those relationships that adults have that are very different with relationships with kids I miss I miss the frankness that children (laughs) the the things that they say you're just like oh man (laughs) (laughs) because it had been 3 years I was thinking I think it's time because I am slowly departing from grad school more and more and so I wanted to make sure like if I wanted to work with adults I could be able to still be teachable not that I wouldn't be teachable in the future but th- that I'm closer to grad school at this point than say maybe in like 7 more years and then I hadn't had experience working with adults and it's a little Tougher, especially as I mentioned, is competitive to work with adults, and so I wanted to make sure that if I could get a chance to get my feet wet in that world again, to really make sure I love it, then now was the time. Especially with COVID and all of this, last year was not not an option to try that. <laughs> I thought this year was the year to do that growth in adults. I thought I was ready, and thankfully, I applied, and they said, come on board. I said, (laughs) okay. So I feel like I'm starting over because, again, I have not worked with adults since three years ago. I was not getting paid for it when I was a second-year student, and now I have to do more responsibility myself. And I still have peers, and I still consult, and I still take the continuing education classes, Just to continue on the learning, but very different than when a student. And so I wanted to take that on in my younger years, if you will.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I imagine that it could feel a little bit overwhelming to decide to leave a job and work in a whole new setting. Did you have any hesitations about doing that or any uncertainties?
1: Absolutely. I was terrified because I was comfortable. Very much so. It takes, I hear, about seven months to get used to a job. So I'm having to restart that all over again, (laughs) right? (laughs) And I was comfortable. Like, I knew my place. I had my office, like, great. I knew where the tools were. Uh, Just routine. And things were getting easier. And that's not a bad thing. That really showed, I think, that I, you know, I was learning and that I was growing and, adapting well, not have to do it. I guess I'm the fear of having to do that. But it was also terrifying because I changed population and setting. I went from pediatric outpatient to adult nursing home. So very drastically different.
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, Lots of new things. (laughs) Yes.
1: And so I was very, you know, nervous, confident because, you know, they have the confidence in me to to do it and I'm learning and I'm growing within that but hesitant in going into it because it's just, you know, so new and again it's more medical which I like but it also has its challenges right because you're caring for people who are not at their peak of health a lot of them and so restoring them and figuring out where they were before so just thinking about all that stuff and just Thinking, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna leave the not the working knowledge that I have working with kids." Like that was what I was exposed to all the time. And thinking, I was like, "Oh, I'm I don't know what it looks like to be involved working with adults." That also created hesitancy. But people were cheering me on, telling me, "You got it," and I said, "Well, dear God, I'm gonna take this (laughs) leap of faith." No, and I'm glad I did. You know, I. I miss in some parts working with kids, but I don't miss carrying heavy stuff. I will say that. Because working <laughs> with kids, you got to carry stuff around with adults. You just go in their room. You do the treatment. Step on out. You're like, all right. So. Yeah, you
0: don't have all the bags of toys and yep. <laughs> art supplies. And yep, yep. <laughs> it saves some money.
1: I do have to say, save, save some money in that <laughs> way. Because I was a fiend going to Target at that
0: dollar section. That was dangerous. Oh, that is so dangerous. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. What was the interview process like for you as you were applying for these jobs? Did it feel intimidating or did you feel more prepared this time going through an interview process? Well,
1: I hadn't interviewed in about three years, so I don't know prepared I feel that for every interview of anything because I interviewed a long long time ago for another kind of job that I didn't have to do with speech therapy and I felt nervous about that I just think that's me as a person but
0: yeah interviews <laughs> um, are stressful
1: <laughs> it's stressful because they ask you these questions and you want to be personable but professional at the same time you want to be vulnerable yet confident in your abilities and I I really had you know sell it as say. Like, and I tried to be honest, as honest as I could. It's like, look, I have not worked with adults in three years. Like my last experience, my reference still was my experience for three years ago. It's like I, my people can vouch for me for my work skills now. So I was, you know, confident in my work sk- professional Area work skills, but the adult part was more of the part I wasn't prepared for. So they would ask me questions like, "Are you familiar with this kind of thing?" or "This kind of thing?" or "Where do you see yourself in five years?" And that part, I feel I refined every time I interview. I interviewed in quite a few places. I just said, "If this was the time, with what I would say and with my honesty, someone was going to take me," and that's what happened. I don't, you know, honesty is the best policy, but you you got to ref. Refine your honesty. You don't want to just sound defeatist from the get go, which I was trying to avoid. Right. But, you know, when they asked if I was familiar with certain things or certain documentation programs, I was, I said, no, I'm familiar with this. But I always tried to say, you know, I'm willing to learn. I think that's
0: really important. Mm -hmm. I am
1: trainable. I learned these types of things over here, you know. I'm here. I would just love if you gave me an opportunity and you'd always follow up with thank you so much for interviewing, taking the time. I appreciate this opportunity, even if it doesn't result in anything. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think being up front with the skills that you have and then telling them that you're willing to learn the others is really important. And I think Well, I guess it worked out because you recently got a job (laughs) in this new setting. What was the first couple weeks like as you were navigating this new setting, new population of clients? I mean, I'm still not quite a ton of time into it, but... How long has it been now?
1: Yeah, it's been a month and two weeks. Okay. So I haven't been you know, in it. I feel there could be a part two to this interview later. <laughs> you know, call, call me in about seven months. Uh, <laughs> see what happens. Uh, but the first week was really just learning where things are. That didn't stop on week one. I was still learning where things were on week two and week three. So the first few weeks were learning where things were and doing like those mandatory trainings. This is the medical place. So you got the, the policies and the HIPAA and the safety yeah. like you yeah, you, know, you gotta do
0: all it's basic. not mm-hmm. right all,
1: it, you don't you sign a ton of paperwork but you also have to do video trainings and stuff and my first it was just learning where my office was again a closet I don't have to stay in said closet but a closet where I <laughs> at least because I mean it serves to keep the stuff that's where I keep my stuff yeah. At least I, you
0: have a space. That's yes, I, I
1: have a space for me. Mainly, like I said, learning learning names. Yeah. Learning learning where the room sy- the room system just how patients are put in rooms because that was confusing. Just sometimes beds, like which one was bed one and bed two, just learning that, making sure I knew. And learning the documentation. So Pretty much I was, and I'm still getting out of being a slowpoke, just in learning what are my phrases that I should be using in that good documentation. Again, still learning. And yeah, it, is, it takes they, time. Mm-hmm. And I am really grateful that my workplace is very much upfront about that. This is a learning environment. You, are okay. you know, I mean, I got to improve things each week. I have a friend that tells me, what? do you do this week that you were not able to do last week? And that's oh. kind of been my landmark of, okay, what can I do this week that I wasn't able to do last week? And I feel there's been at least two or three things every week that I'm not able to, that I wasn't able to do in the past. So.
0: Oh, I love that. That's a really nice way to reflect. And also I'm sure it's overwhelming at times. There's so many new things to learn, but to be able to articulate all of the success that you're having along the way and to be supported while you do that. That's huge.
1: Yes. So that first set of weeks, like I said, the documentation, I got some help just asking like, Hey, what are the tests that we give here? What are the procedures for this? And along the way, and I'm still learning along the way, other procedures like, Oh, that, Oh, okay. Got to do that. And I just added and I, learn to graciously say, will do. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just learning the vocabulary. Actually, Asha came out in their leader with a sniff lingo thing, and I have it somewhere in my room. I read it when there's articles that portrayed to my job. So that was a good way to prepare, just looking through things and continuing ed classes, but just looking through, oh, okay, how do you do? Documentation for Medicaid and how do you work on asking for a fees or an MBS and just again my first few weeks learning I was like oh you can ask for this oh you can ask the kitchen to do that oh you can do
0: yeah yeah that's great because
1: in my particular setting
0: and I think
1: in other types of settings that are company based like big company based you have there's numbers and things that you have to keep up so just learning like oh they want you to do this this way oh no. so. Uh, also in the first few weeks and currently (laughs) learning about all of that and being grateful that there is grace Yes,
0: yes in
1: every day because we are human we make mistakes it is okay you just as another friend tells me you know you do the best with what you're given
0: Exactly. Yep. And you celebrate the successes along the way.
1: You have to stay alert because you're learning and you're doing. And then you also have to remember, hey, it's okay. Human. Human. Remember that.
0: Is there anything that you've encountered so far that has surprised you about your new workplace? Or things that maybe you felt like you hadn't prepared for?
1: It's a good question. I would just say, I think... I had an idea that there would be extra kind of administrative work, but just the pacing of it and the amount of it and how I keep learning, oh, there's this, oh, there's that, that. I think that surprises me the most.
0: Does it seem like things move a little bit quicker in this setting as far as the paperwork? Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, in terms of paperwork, in terms of – I was used to having a week to write evaluations. Now I have to do them like a – as soon as I finish with the patient or while with the patients, I'm like, Oh, ah, just writing, <laughs> you know, and and you can edit and whatnot, but you have to finish and just the productivity really, because um, depending where you are, productivity can be pretty high. The amount of time you're seeing someone, something being billed that you're charging for is measured constantly, daily. And, I didn't realize also how as a new person, it's difficult to get in that rhythm of making sure you hit. Okay. Making sure everything is billable.
0: Yes. It's a different mindset a little yes. bit. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess I was expecting a different mindset, which I was nervous about, but being in it, I'm, I'm still basking in the, Oh, there's <laughs> a lot. So I'm, I'm changing. It's a good change. It's a good stress. I'm not saying it's a bad stress. I really enjoy where I am and I'm learning a lot and definitely growing. And there's, believe me, there's plenty to grow in, in everything. It's a, it's a different stress. Uh, Yes. I am dreaming about work when I go home, (laughs) but that is just my workaholic personality. What can I say? I think
0: that happens. And I know that's happened for me too with, big transitions or times where I'm really invested in something, really passionate about something that it carries over into my dreams. So maybe that's the same for you.
1: Yes. And I think once I get a little more into it and I'm stressed about different things and not just about learning things, I think it'll shift a little bit in my priority because right now it just absorbs my world because I'm like, okay, making sure I did all these things right. And Every day, every day is a victory. Honestly, when I finish,
0: when I clock out, I'm like, yes, I did it.
1: (laughs) And I feel good about it. And I have to, and I have to tell that to myself, you did it. You are okay.
0: (laughs) I love that. That's a great attitude to have. You alluded to this a little bit earlier, but you said that you feel like some of the skills that you used and you learned while you were working with kids really prepared you in some ways for working with adults. And there's some similarities there. What are some of those things that you've noticed? Well, one thing,
1: no particular order, but just because I thought of this because it happened to me today. Working with adults is working with big kids.
0: (laughs) We're all big kids, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're all, all, I'm a big kid now, like the commercial says, right? Uh, It's like working with big kids. And with working with children, a lot of the times kids come in, they do fine, right? Sometimes they didn't have the best day. Sometimes they're just challenging just because of their diagnosis. Sometimes they just want to push your buttons. Adults have that too. And sometimes I forget about that. And so just some of those behavioral strategies, because I learned how to work with kids with autism. Not that I work with adults with autism necessarily, but just thinking of those first den and trying to sell it, what you're doing, Mm -hmm. especially when they're, having difficulties cognitively, if you know what I mean. So so those strategies of behavior management have served me well. That's awesome. And, and, you know, with, with kids, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But I just know from working with kids, working with adults, it's not personal. It's not you. They had a day. They're just like that. They just take it out on you. Happens, can't be offended by it
0: yeah absolutely
1: with adults though it sometimes counts out a little sometimes stronger maybe not as like tantrumy, but perhaps a little stronger if you if you know what I mean in terms of like things they choose to do or say
0: yeah I can see that coming from an adult how that might come off as a little stronger Mm -hmm.
1: also just my documentation just making sure I'm like structuring it the same but with that I've also had to undo a little bit of what I've learned with working with kids because assessments are a little different and just how you talk about how you interact with adults is different but just like the structure of like oh patient received in room things like that you know like we worked on this and we saw these percentages and you gave them these many trials and you gave them this kind of queuing whatever did that that helped I'm sure there's more those are just the big two that stick out the, the documentation and the interaction
0: yeah no that's perfect what advice do you have for slps that are thinking about transitioning workplaces from working with children and switching over to working with adults
1: so i would say network 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 earliest you can Find connections. Keep your friends from grad school if you can. If you remember Phyllis who worked in an acute setting, be like, hey, how was it working in that acute? What'd you learn? Seriously, helps out. Having both older and younger cohorts of people on your side, if you're able to volunteer, even in things that don't have to do, specifically with speech pathology in the name so like you've church things that you can volunteer at working with adults in nursing homes or whatnot
0: yeah I think that's a great suggestion just to work with that population of people and see if you can picture yourself working with them every day
1: or shadow, you know, you don't get paid for it, but it gets gets you a foot in the door. My shadowing of adult and outpatient and undergrad, just because of a connection. And there's places where you can work both with kids and adults. So if you happen to have a job somewhere that there's adults and kids at the same time, you have your foot working with kids and adults, so you can swiggle.
0: Yeah, that's a nice idea too. If you're in a pediatric-only setting and then switching to somewhere that has both populations might be a nice first step if you're not really sure yet and you want to test the waters a little bit before committing to adults. That sounds like that could be a nice idea.
1: Yeah, that usually tends to be outpatient because it's a little e- more easily manageable, mm-hmm. if you will. Sometimes people do the home health route sometimes it's a little more flexible. Sometimes people do the sniff route, because it's a little more flexible. But I would also say read articles, not necessarily just research articles, but read articles like Ash Leader, <laughs> anything else. Like if you follow any particular Facebook groups or anything, just kind of keep what are your interests and just kind of follow up on those uh, podcasts, like Swallow Your Pride or uh, Down the Hatch.
0: Yeah, podcasts are a great idea. and. I pulled out
1: the old grad school notes. People yeah. say they toss them in the trash, and I'm like, uh-uh, I still pull up my slides. Good, for you. Good <laughs> and for you. review
0: them. They were expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well go back to them. <laughs> right, right,
1: right. was yeah. like I didn't just uh, pay for grad school to, <laughs> or take a loan for grad school. You know, to be sit and duck. No, no, you review those notes and even talk to people like I said that maybe even your professors just reach out to them
0: yeah yeah I love those ideas that's great all right so I just have a few rapid fire questions here for you at the end of our interview Mm -hmm. the first one is what is one resource that you couldn't live without
1: my network
0: yeah for sure
1: my network without skipping a beat I have a question. I phone a friend. It's <laughs> like how you who wants to be a millionaire. I phone a friend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> who are you including in that network? Is this your ah, work
1: network or is this family? I I mean my network is for job things specifically. I have some grad school friends I still reach out to, and just people I've made connections throughout the years. And previous coworkers, that's great. A current coworker, you know. Also, my family is a huge support. There's moments that it's okay to feel overwhelmed, especially when a change like this comes. Especially like a year, like the last year was. Yes. Call <laughs> you if you're able. You know, call your family. Call the people you call family. Your friends. You need your cheerleaders.
0: Exactly. It's nice to have people that are in the field and then people that are out to be part of that support
1: network. And you would think, why people outside the network? But I, you know, I get an unbiased, like, hey, this sounds like this thing. I was like, oh. Oh, that's, that's called being human. Okay, that's fine. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nice for say. that perspective sometimes. Yeah, and also networking like through like Facebook groups. There's like a bazillion pages and Facebook groups that I follow. But if you join groups, even if you're not in that field, I joined the medical, med op Facebook group because I knew that was something I would be interested in. So I just mm-hmm. see things pop up for that. It's like, oh, they're looking into that. I don't know, they're looking into that. So... Uh, those because I can ask questions, and yeah. they answer back. I when I was doing things with children, I asked a few questions and I got some answers. Like, oh,
0: okay. Yeah, that's those are great resources. What has been a defining moment in your SLP journey?
1: Ah, I feel there's been many of those. It's been a collection of moments, if you <laughs> will. Uh, definitely undergraduate shadowing those three months. I learned about the glycerin swabs. You know, all those early experiences, learning how to fax, learning photocopies. That was one experience. The whole internships in grad school, the blessing of having a job in the past and in the present, just, just valid those those validated it for me. It's like, okay, this is I'm still on the right track of what I'm supposed to do. I still am following my calling. This is, I'm here. I'm sure that's a really good feeling. Yes. Definitely rewarding that in both senses, working with kids and working with adults have their different rewards for sure.
0: What is one thing on your professional bucket list? Being on a podcast. <laughs>
1: no, I, I would love to go to Asha. <laughs> okay. And uh, I've never been, and I hear the one in DC is coming up this year. So maybe. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, you're so close.
1: I'm so, yes, we're, we're so close, but excited. I also want to get trained in big and loud. That would be very, very awesome. That's a program for working with Parkinson's, in which you're, we, we speech pathologists learn the loud part, big as PT. But just learning that system, I think
0: it'd be really cool to be
1: trained in big and loud. I did share that in my interviews. I was like, hey, I want to be trained in big and loud. That would be awesome.
0: And lastly, what is your favorite part of your job?
1: When I get out of the room where I'm or wherever I'm treating the patient and feeling I did it, I made a difference. That sounds like a corny answer, but Knowing that what you did, especially when you feel like you aced that therapy session. You know, there's moments where therapy's not perfect in your head, but it's perfectly fine. But, like, when it matches in your head to what you did, you're like, yeah, that's
0: (laughs) it. (laughs) No, I think that's great, because not everyone in any field could say that, that they have those experiences.
1: I mean, I want to stipulate it you know it's living for making a difference really even if it's perfect or quote-unquote unperfect because it feels good that you did your job that's what I mean to say like the fact that when those two things match up that's really great but as long as you, knowing that I did my job feels satisfactory and that is that's the best part
0: That's great. I love your positivity and how you're able to see all the little victories along the way and just acknowledge that you and all of us have a lot to learn. And I think it's great that you're putting yourself out there and trying a new setting. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I hope this has been informative and not just one big ramble on my part.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's great. And I think it will be helpful for others that might be thinking about making a switch as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to this episode. There's so many things that we can do and pass that we can take as speech language pathologists. And I thought it was really neat to hear about Ileana's journey switching patient populations. I encourage you to follow the podcast so you'll be notified of new episodes as they come out. And please consider leaving a review of the podcast. You can find the show notes and transcripts at aboutfromandwith.com and connect with me on Instagram at danikapyfer.slp. Until next time, stay humble and kind.